you are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson. Because democracy doesn't just happen. And welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. Uh, we're chatting today to Mark Oppenheimer, but this time not in a, a legal sense. As, as I mentioned earlier on, Mark is a fantastic constitutional court advocate who's done some wonderful work and has some amazing knowledge there. But he also has a keen interest in uh, philosophy, psychology, and civil civil society, society matters. Good afternoon, Mark. I trust you're well. Yes, great to see you. Yes, fantastic. Well, I can't see you, but I can hear you. <laughs> Absolutely. Mark, what what have you been up to lately? I know I asked this question last time we chatted, which was quite quite recently, but that was more on your uh, constitutional court ideas, your your new uh, YouTube channel, which is a fantastic venture. If listeners haven't seen that, I'd recommend you get on content straight away. But more, Mark, what your thoughts on around the uh, what happened in these elections? We had a 26% turnout of, of voters. How do you think that that's going to affect our democracy going forward? So I think voter apathy can tell you one of two things. So it could tell you that your society functions so well that it's such a well-oiled machine that people trust their politicians so much that they no longer feel an obligation to vote or that it's uh, in their interest to vote because things will work regardless. The other view is that people think that your society is so far gone that the political options on the table are so bad that you can't bear the thought of voting for any of it and that you don't think that political change or change in who governs you would improve your life, and that's why you you, you don't participate. I think there's probably a, a third factor in our current set of elections, which is people being uh, not registered. So, you know, the IC only had one voter registration weekend. I think the number of people who are registered went down. And uh, then I think there probably were some concerns about, you know, lining up in a queue with COVID. But we're probably more in the case where people feel like they they don't have good options available to them. Definitely. I think that's extremely relevant. And just judging by the uh, chatter that was going on on, on Twitter uh, over the election, on the election day and, and post the election day, that definitely seems to be, be the case, is who do I vote for? Why, why should I vote? And and so on. Voting is not going to make any, any difference as, as such. But um, a lot of people are also saying that by not voting, you are actually exercising your democratic right and and uh, making a statement. However, there's some debate on that. I'm not so sure that that is the correct thing to do. And your thoughts? Yeah, so you mentioned earlier that there's some countries that legally require you to vote in the sense that if you don't vote, you'll be fined. I think in a society like that, there ought to be a box on the ballot that is a vote of no confidence, which you can tick, and I think it should be represented in Parliament. So I think um, those should all be empty seats, and I think they should always vote no in legislation. I think it's important that people are able to say, I don't believe in government and I don't like any of the options on the table. I think if you're compelled to choose between a fascist party and a communist party, for example, neither of those are decent choices and you have every right to not pick one of them. So, yeah, I, I don't think that people have a kind of moral obligation to vote. I think also once we start to say that people... Um, have an obligation to be involved in politics. That's different from saying it's a good thing to be involved in politics. Um, you know, I think that you might become a better person by having certain civic virtues. Um, and I don't think 
having those civic virtues is just limited to voting. So I think some people think, well, what I do is every five years, you know, I mark my X um, and that's it. And I think there's a lot to be said for engaging in public discussion, thinking about issues of the day, um, you know, engaging in lobbying, putting your views on, on various bits of legislation. There are other often more important ways of having your voice heard as a citizen. Yeah, that, that definitely are. And in, especially in a participative and representative d- democracy, it is actually up to us as citizens to be more involved outside of, of the election election time and do more than, than actually just making your, your mark on a piece of paper. But there again, apathy might creep into that whole process as well, which is, which is rather concerning. And, you know, once, once people are on that, that apathy, and I'd like to call it a, a slippery slope, that a downward spiral, it's very difficult to, to find inspiration and get out of that slump and say, well, this is, this is going to make a difference. Even though I feel it hasn't made a difference somewhere before, I'm, I'm going to go out there and actually do, do something. But then, you know, I think what drives apathy and especially strengthens that, that position where people don't go and vote is the follow-up after, after the elections where they, where promises aren't met by political parties, where, uh, Corruption still still is is rife, and where nothing really changes. So, how do you, how do you reconvince uh, getting into the psychology of, of say, marketing or or election campaign? How how would you go about convincing an apathetic voter to go out and vote? Yeah, so I think you've got to recognise there is an interesting um, puzzle with voting. So the chances that your particular vote will lead to a change in outcome are about the chances of being struck by lightning three times. Um, you know, they're sort of similar to winning the lottery, vanishingly small. So if you accept that in your personal interest, it is probably an irrational thing to go and stand in a queue and go and vote. But while accepting that lots of people do that and that the aggregate of those votes does have a big effect, right? I mean, in other words, you think about the city of Cape Town, um, which was governed by uh, the ANC and has been governed by the DA for a long time, you know, you've found there's been dramatic differences in terms of service delivery, in terms of quality of life. Like the the governing party can make a difference. Um, the governing, governing party can make a difference in good ways or bad ways, but your individual vote probably won't. So the question is, why should I participate in something that isn't in my own interest? Well, you might think that there could be other reasons for why you do it that aren't just about tactical voting. I think it's crazy to talk about tactical voting in a mass election. If you're in Big Brother and there's 20 voters, tactical voting kind of makes sense. Your vote could could add up to something. You can coordinate with people. But I think one of the reasons to, to vote is really symbolic, to say what I'm doing is exercising my agency for a party that I think um, displays my values best. Um, and I want to endorse that. And I think telling other people to vote in a particular direction can have a big difference. So if you can persuade hundreds of people in your community, especially in a municipal election, to vote for a particular party, you know, that can change the outcome. Um, and so that kind of behavior then starts to look very rational and not merely symbolic. But the other things that you alluded to are, you know, there might be a sense in which some apathy about the political process is not bad. So what happens is people say, you know what, the chant in South Africa is government must do this thing. And it's been that way for a very long time. And I think what's happening now is people realize government isn't always going to be the answer. But that doesn't mean that you have to be apathetic generally. You might say, well, you know, there are other processes that I need to put a lot of energy into. So if you think about the role that civil society has played, you know, especially in the last uh, five years or so, you know, fighting uh, changes to amending our constitution or 
um, protecting people's um, labor rights or all sorts of other things. So civil society organizations have been really prominent. You know, an organization like Afri Forum's got 270,000 members. Um, you know, the IRR have thousands of friends and they're able to, you know, shape the public consciousness through the work that they do. And I think people have maybe changed their energy into getting involved in those kind of community organizations or those national sort of um, issues. That's absolutely correct. And I want, I wonder if we shouldn't go into that a, a little bit more and figure out why people would rather vote or support. I mean, a vote is, vote is a support for a political party. So why would people rather support civil society organizations than, than a political party? Yeah, so I think probably – couple of reasons. The one might be that you think that the political parties that are available aren't covering the issues that matter. Um, so, for example, if you look at the Institute for Racial Relations polling data, you know, they ask people, what are the two most important issues? Um, so that prioritization is really important, right? You know, in other words, if you ask people, tell me the 50 things that are on your mind, you're going to get a different view to tell me what's the thing that's most burning for you. Um, and so what you find is that most people are concerned about crime, unemployment, um, education, service delivery, and right at the bottom of that list are things like land reform and racism. But that's not what you get from the press and it's not what you get from political parties. So I think people say, but this, the issues that you're canvassing on aren't the issues that are close to my heart, but some NGOs are picking up on those issues. Um, and so I think that's why people want to sort of donate their money there get physically involved in those organizations, see that as a, as a pathway, you know, to a safe society, a prosperous society. Perhaps it's also because it's a short term commitment. You know, a political party, when you, when you vote for them, it's a, it's a five year commitment as, as such in, in South Africa. So you, uh, what's already been shown here is there seems to be some voter remorse among some uh, certain voters as there's the coalition agreements are, are finalized. And some surprises are, are, are emerging, although not, although not finalized just yet. So I think perhaps it's easier if you uh, support a civil society organization through a donation. It's up to you and you can change that at, at any time. If they don't perform, then you, you stop your contribution and all your support and, and so on. And you can just search for another one that does sim- similar work. Not so easy with when a political party is, is voted into power. As it's really difficult to get people out of out of those uh, government guaranteed positions, so, <laughs> you, know, you get such well paid uh, representatives, yet they sit around doing doing nothing. That got to create some sort of civil animosity t- towards these people. But yeah, that's it, it's a very interesting uh, discussion in in apathy, and I think there needs to be some sort of a major change in the way political parties are are structured. Perhaps they do need to act more like civil society organizations, become less involved in politics and more involved in actually solving problems. What do you think on that? Yeah, I suppose there's, you know, the politics in the small sense in terms of the, the petty infighting or the sort of scoring points against each other in public. And I do think giving some thought to what the proper role of government is is important. You might think that's you know, one is to have a very minimalist account of government, that governments ought to be, you know, ensuring that you have a justice system, that you have effective policing, um, you know, that uh, your your basic rights are protected, that you're not know, going to be treated equally before the law. Um, but that, you know, government sort of oversteps when it starts to try and intrude into other areas. So, for example, if you think about, like, national health insurance, the idea that government would go and abolish private medical aids and say, well, trust us, we can do it best. 
um, you know, we want to be the sole provider of, of healthcare in the country. I mean, that strikes me as government doing too much. Um, and, you know, when, when we're sort of, uh, sitting in, uh, power outages we've been, think about, think about what that would be like if you have government running, you know, all of your health services. You know, you won't just have load shedding, you'll have life shedding. Um, but that doesn't mean that other organizations can't fill those gaps. Um, and they fill it through a different mechanism, which is, you know, really through, through a free market mechanism. As you pointed out with NGOs, people say every month, I choose you again. I choose to give you this monthly contribution. Maybe it's 50 bucks a month. Um, and if the move that you're making, I don't approve anymore, I'm not going to give you the money anymore. So your accountability mechanism is constantly shifting. Whereas political parties who say you've got this every five years I participate and then I'm kind of stuck with you for that period of time. So my accountability mechanisms are diminished. You know, South Africa is such an interesting place in that we really have some of the best institutions around. You know, I think we have one of the best banking systems in the world. You know, we still have some excellent universities. There's a, a private sector that, that does incredibly well under very difficult circumstances. And then you have a, a failing public sector, um, you know, and that you have people who are the poorest of the poor and the most vulnerable uh, who require that public sector, and it fails them all the time, and it you know, endangers their, their livelihoods. So in some senses, what you have to do is wean yourself off of government, you know, let it do less and less and less, and let the other actors fill up that space. You hit the nail on the head there, talking my language, absolutely. So many times in 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 the various interviews that I've done on on this show, the the conclusion we always arrive at is less dependence on government, and I, I have to keep driving that because it, it is absolutely the the solution to to society's problems. Become less dependent on government, and you you will no, never be be disappointed, and therefore the apathy will also. Disappear, because there's no doubt that uh, lack of accountability drives drives citizen apathy. I'm tired of seeing these guys get away with it. Nothing ever gets done. Oh, I'm not going to bother with with that or whole system. I'm not going to play your game anymore. And not just simply not vote. I'm going to look for for alternatives. So, it's, yeah, it is that the slippery downward slope, as, as I mentioned earlier on. But what can we really do do about it? I mean. I've heard some ideas of a perhaps allowing people to contribute more to civil society organizations and then offsetting that against uh, tax measures, for example. Instead of giving your money to a corrupt government, we could give it to civil society organizations that we agree with and change that as, as we go. I think that would be a, a wonderful, wonderful idea. But it doesn't solve our immediate problems, does it? Yes, I mean, so some of it is, in other words, citizens taking a stand against government, as you point out. Um, some of it is saying, you know, we're not going to hand over our tax revenue to uh, a body that we can't trust, you know, that's going to steal from the people and, you know, spend it on uh, on luxury items or smuggle it off to Dubai. Um, and so you, you do find there are some measures to try and uh, tame government. Um, so some of it is to say, like you so you have these failed municipalities across the country, um, and the idea is that the citizens basically take over the running of it. Um, so they say, we, we don't trust, you know, the mayoral committee. It doesn't do anything. It's, it's using our tax revenue for illicit purposes. So it must go into a separate fund and it'll be administered by the people that live here. Um, and they can ensure that the potholes are fixed and the water works and, you know, there's other ways of producing power. Um, and so you kind of wind up with this, um, interdependence between citizens, um, that they all need each other to, to survive and to prosper. And you really are united. Um, but you recognize that, you know, government is not the answer for that. So I, I do think 
if you think about these things as different centers of power and government has sort of gobbled up a lot of that power and is abusing it, you know, you want to try and reclaim some of it back. Um, so I do think, I mean, one of the things that's probably been uh, hardly ever spoken about, but has had a massive effect on this election, is the transparency requirements for donating to political parties. So if you think about how much money was donated to the DA and the ANC in this last election, and only three parties you know, declared contributions over 100,000 rand. You know, that's the, the requirement. So I think Herman Mashaba donated some of his personal money to Action SA. Uh, Mary Slack um, of the Oppenheimer family donated, I think, the full limit, which is 15 million rand, to the DA. That was 94% of the money they received. And the ANC got 10 million rand. So to put that in perspective, Sorong Fawz's CR17 campaign, which was an internal party election, was a billion rand. So you compare that to the 10 million rand that they got. You know, basically... Once people know, in other words, that your donation will be public and that the, the view is that if you're donating to a party, it might be for the wrong purposes. In other words, I'll give you all political party some money and then you give me some tenders when you're in office. You know, people start to get much more wary of that. So draining party coffers is one way to hold, you know, ultimately governments to account that they know that they need to kind of play a cleaner game or else people aren't going to give them money. Without a doubt, and one has to wonder what happens to that one billion rand, which is an incredible amount of money for an internal uh, election campaign. Uh, was it wisely spent? Uh, clearly not. I'm sure you could run an internal election campaign with one one percent of, of of that much. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick ad break, and we'll be right back and chatting to Mark again. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson. Because democracy doesn't just happen. Indeed. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. And democracy doesn't just happen, as we are finding out more and more as we go along through in our democracy and in this chat show. Now, Mark, um, we mentioned something quite interesting there. and There's definitely a, a strong link between apathy and trust. As trust levels go up, apathy decreases. So how how do we uh, increase trust trust levels? Or how would a, a political party, even if they're not in in government, increase the the trust levels between themselves and and their vote voter electorate? Well, think about how this would happen in other sectors. So if you have a number of companies who provide the same service, um, and you've got a variety of them, people will have some level of loyalty to a company while it provides good services and, you know, meets its obligations. But once it's, it stops doing that, people will vote with their feet and they'll pick a different service provider. So, and then sometimes what happens is that you have a situation where all of the corporates who provide a service do it badly. Um, so it used to be the case, for example, that there are very limited number of internet options. This is partly a, a government problem because there was a, an issue with regards to, you know, doling out licenses. So your options were all kind of terrible. And you had uh, in, in Parkhurst citizens saying, well, why don't we just, as a community, band together and put out a tender? Let's see if we can get fiber installed in our community. And so the community called for, for business to participate. They found a service provider. They installed fiber in Parkhurst. And it worked so incredibly well that other suburbs started doing it. And you had this, you know, national rollout of fiber, not done by government, but done by citizens who trusted their service providers because the service providers provided you know, good options. And then you had a variety of different people kind of moving into this market space and saying, well, we think we can provide, you know, a faster service, a better service, a cheaper service, you know, and people then move with their feet. 
and so that's organic and you wind up with i mean uh if you think about what internet was like in south africa 10 years ago to what it's like now i mean it's chalk and cheese and that has nothing to do with government that has to do with you know private citizens basically saying we need to do this on our own so political parties have to work out well what can they do to establish trust and part of it would be as you say making promises that you can actually keep um if you have as you say a democracy which um people vote for funny reasons so they vote out of a sense of loyalty so liberation parties for example can kind of stick around for it's on average something like 30 years saying well you know we liberated you from the former oppressive regime you owe us you know um imagine if we left the bad guys would come back you sort of try and instill some fear but actually not very good at governing um so at some point people go well you know your your loyalty point scheme has prescribed uh and we're starting to care about other issues and these guys you know who are promising other things you know we think will deliver and then you can hold them to account what's interesting in, in this election is the that the two kind of biggest parties both took beatings so the ANC did below 50% in terms of support in some areas you know that were like massive party strongholds like Soweto Glen you know the ANC uh, lost seats to Action SA being a new um, party um but the DA kind of also took a little bit of a, a dip in some places. Um, and so you've had this sort of rise of these smaller parties. And I think that can can be positive in the sense that small parties often care about a niche issue. Uh, they can protect interest groups that would be glossed over by bigger organizations. And they might be very good at saying, look, we're on board with, you know, let's say a certain kind of agenda. We care about these things. We care about clean governance. We care about anti-corruption, but we also care about this other thing that's particular to our community, and we want to ensure that they're protected. And so they can be good alliance partners. The other concern, of course, is that things get so fractured that nothing gets done um, and that people get you know, more and more despondent about the capacities of government. Exactly. As, as we've seen in, in most coalitions across the country uh, from, from previous elections, there, there seems to be uh, too much difference of opinion within the coalition and inability to make uh, correct decisions and then the stalling of the whole democratic process. And, of course, uh, service delivery is, is also, also takes a beating there. But, you know, I, 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 we have to focus on, on the issue of, of, of trust because to to me that that is the major 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 concern if you there's a considerable lack of trust in in government and all political parties at the stage which is why we saw the the drop from two major major political parties and everybody going for what is seemingly a, a viable uh, alternative and that was the form of action SA and also the freedom front plus which have seen a major major increase in 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 their their uh, supporter base um the, the trust issue is is the major thing here, and the only solution I can really think of is is we need to focus on uh, citizen engagement, encouraging people to get more involved in in their local communities, in their in their local uh, electorate, and with their local councils, and promote a a, a sense of accountability. You know, it's we've sat back for too long as as South Africans, and we just watch the decay and destruction happen around us, not realizing that we can actually stop that dead in its tracks by being engaged, not just in elections, but obviously um, through the, the daily processes as well. But again, it's, it's that whole psychology, getting, getting over that, that apathy that is, that is plaguing so many people and inst instilling that uh, sense of, of, of purpose again. How, 
how, what is the first step in, in, in overcoming apathy, in, in your opinion? As you say, it might, might be that it's okay to be apathetic about certain things. In other words, there's, I'm not totally concerned when people stop voting because often they stop voting for pernicious parties. So personally, I would love it if everybody became incredibly apathetic about the EFF and stopped voting for it. And it might be nice if they voted for the parties that I like, um, but just not voting for the EFF would be a good thing. But if they're channeling their efforts into things that are important, in other words, if they're not apathetic about life in South Africa, in other words, they say, I want it to you know, I want to be able to live in a society where I trust my citizens, um, we can look after each other, I can start a business that people can, um, you know, engage with me in that matter, my, my kids can have a good life and good. Like, those might be important things to channel your, your energy into. Um, so, I think people have a limited amount of, of energy available to them, a limited amount of resources. And if you're having to constantly worry about political issues, you know, that might be a sickness in your society. You know, as I say, like, the best kind of vote apathy is that you live in a society where, you know, everything works. Um, so you don't have to sort of have this um, devotion to a political party because that's the only way out of, you know, a desperate situation. Um, and you can sort of spend your time building things and growing things. Um, I think there's a, this difference we talked about trust between trust and faith. Um, and I think what happens is that parties who break trusts then start to rely on something like faith. So they say, even though there is no evidence to suggest that I'm going to be good this time around, um, you know, I've broken every promise that I made to you in the last election cycle, you know, I've betrayed you, but you need to have faith. You need to treat me like, you know, a deity. And um, that's when things start to get very pernicious. Um, you know, and then it becomes a sense of, you know, if, you, if you've lost faith with the political party, you've become an apostate, a heretic, you know, and you should be uh, treated as such uh, and bullied by, you know, by others who, you know, are still adherents to the faith. Um, and I think you probably find that with organizations like the ANC or, or the EFF, they'll want to punish the heretics who've abandoned them. Without a doubt, and that's that is where we are actually headed in in South Africa. And yeah, the, we chatted earlier on about um, educating people as as to the voting process in certain countries that that do that. Perhaps that that is actually a, a good thing because that will remove it from the faith based uh, decision making into a proper a uh, critical thinking based uh, decision making. How, do you think that we would ever see that in South Africa, given our political future? You, you might find it in different areas. So I remember I did some election monitoring in 2014. So um, the two of the other guys there, there was a guy from the ANC and a guy from the EFF, and I sort of said to the EFF guy, a bit jokingly, like, who are you voting for? Um, so this was a national election, and you had to vote for, you know, um, for parliaments, and you had to vote for, um, for, your, for your province. And he said, well, I'm splitting my vote. And I was surprised. I said, ah, oh, how are you splitting your vote? He said, well, you know, I want Julius in Parliament giving Zuma a hard time, um, but I want the DA to govern my province because I think they'll actually do a good job. Um, and so this is someone who was thinking about his interests. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for people thinking about what's in their interests. Um, as I say, your private vote um, won't matter, but you can persuade others um, and you can form a coalition and you can sort of, um, you know, ultimately do things that are in your interest. When you're voting for fantasies of like, you know, this was a party that, you know, did all these wonderful things 50 years ago, um, but, you know, what have you done for me lately is kind of important. If you think about, you know, how we treat corporations, it's very much a what have you done for me lately? You know, this, this, uh, 
if you kind of let me down enough times, I'm not going to come to your restaurant or buy your goods anymore. I'm going to move. Um, so I think what will happen is as we become a more uh, mature democracy, people feel more and more comfortable with moving. And we've definitely seen that. I mean, people have moved away from the ANC in droves in this election. There's another sense in which um, we must recognize a thing called differential turnout, which is that it's, it suits certain kinds of parties to have apathy, that you, you might not, in other words, some people might have an affiliation for a certain political party, but they don't, they're not going to go out and vote for that party. But if you can drive up your supporter base you know, and make sure that they want to vote for you and they do actually get to the poll, you can get this differential benefit. Um, and so we've, we've seen that happen with, you know, parties like the Freedom Front, um, you know, have grown their share of the vote dramatically because they could get their voters to turn up. Um, you know, something the DA has typically been quite good at in prior elections is ensuring that more of their voters, you know, arrive at the polls um, than ANC voters, uh, even if the sort of general mood among the populace, in other words, if, if you were forced to vote, who would you vote for? You get a different outcome to who would you actually vote for. Absolutely. And yeah, that, that is without a doubt why, why they focus so much on that as you know, to encourage uh, uh, the leading party or, or ruling party's voters not to vote is, is also definitely a, a good election tactic in, in the long run. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back after that. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. Chatting today to Mark Oppenheimer about uh, something other than than uh, uh, the courts and uh, the legal arena and more in, more in the f- philosophical space about voter apathy. Mark it's always a pleasure to to chat to you. Um, any any last words that you want to say around around apathy and how we can encourage people or not to to overcome it? Yeah, well, it's been a wonderful discussion. I do think what citizens have to do ultimately is reflect on their own interests, um, try and vote accordingly, uh, engage, use their efforts, you know, in areas where they think they can actually make a difference. And often that's going to be civil society projects or starting their own businesses or being entrepreneurial or you know, getting involved in, in charity work. And sometimes, you know, abandoning political parties might very well be a good thing um, for the prosperity of all of us. Um, so as I say, like, being apathetic about some things is not necessarily bad. Um, and it's one way of, you know, holding political parties to account, realizing that they they need to show up, they need to deliver on their promises. Um, you mentioned that, you know, ordinarily we talk about legal issues, and so those that are interested in those things, um, you can check out, um, I've got a show called Constitutional Landmarks, which is available on YouTube and Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts, and I go interview um, judges and advocates about landmark cases in the constitutional court. So we talk about um, the truth and reconciliation process, we talk about gay marriage, um, um, the death penalty, the encounter case, um, and so those come out every two weeks. Absolutely, and and I do encourage uh, the listeners to to check out that podcast. It's absolutely fan- fantastic, and a rather insight into things we wouldn't normally uh, know about at at all. However, it is absolutely necessary that we do do know about those the, about those things. Mark, as usual, always always a pleasure, absolutely lovely, um, and we'll chat soon again, no doubt. Excellent, lovely, and that brings us to the. End end of the show today. If you if you missed the show, don't worry. It will be available 
on Spotify or on our website at www.chaifm.com. And you can download it. You can download the other shows that, that are there, the previous shows, and I recommend that you do. Also check out uh, Mark's show, as, as he mentioned there. And as we've pointed out here, apathy might be a good thing in certain respects, might not be in, in others, but it is your civil duty to still remain engaged. And you can do that by engaging with uh, your government on a local level and national level and everything else. And that brings us, as I said, to the end of the show. But remember to stay democratically engaged, active and responsible. Ciao for now. <laughs>